If you have struggled with mental health, burnout, or imposter syndrome, this episode is for you. Um, and before getting into it, um, I just want to send a lo- lot of love to anybody that has uh, lost a loved one to suicide, has had to deal with depression, anxiety, PTSD, or any other mental health condition, because a lot of times we attribute our physical and emotional conditions to things that are actually related to mental health and mental health care should not be a luxury, which is why today we are interviewing Vicky Tan, who is a designer at Headspace. Um, if this is your first time listening to the Breaking Stars podcast, you probably don't know that what we do here is we explain what's going on in the tech world so you can break in, level up, and get new skills. But we also go deeper and cover subjects that are important to understand while you're developing those skills to while you are in the tech world so you can learn how to survive and navigate in this ever-changing world um, so you can be prepared for uncertainty in the future. I was reminded about the issue around how mental health care shouldn't be um, just available to people that uh, can afford it uh, when I was listening to the Hello Black podcast with my buddies Blake Simmons and um, Delancey where they were talking about the importance of mental health check-ins and on this episode we're not just going to talk about check-ins and, and looking out for each other and all kinds of other things but we're also going to to go deep on the tactical advice to break in and become a designer um, it's, it's a great episode. It's it's fun. It's lighthearted as well. It's not as heavy as I'm making the intro sound. And the reason why my heart is heavy today is it's because of these mass shootings and and hearing about um, a lot of a lot of conditions that and violence that are arising from mental health conditions. And um, I just want to make sure that we hold each other accountable. I want everybody to know that if you're dealing with any of these conditions, we are here for you. I'm not a therapist, but I will definitely show you a lot of love. Uh, my name is Ruben at breakingstars.com. You can email Archer and Timor at breakingstars.com or Patrick as well. Or you could like our page on Facebook, join our community on Facebook and, and introduce yourself. And I promise you, I will connect you with people that can help you that are that are down for you, that are in the trenches with you, so you can understand that that you're not alone. Um, and I'll repeat that, you are not alone. And uh, I'm excited about your journey. I'm excited that I have a front row seat to your journey. Without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with Arthur and Timor. Just got back from Whitewater Rafting Trip and he'll be here later on tonight. But today, Arthur, please tell the people what we're doing. Yeah, we're here recording from Headspace, a meditation startup focused on meditation and mindfulness. It started in 2010 and is backed by some of the top VCs like Jim Breyer, Alan Co., and a handful of influential celebrities like Jeff Wiener of LinkedIn CEO, Jessica Alba, and Ryan Seacrest. And we're really excited about having the special guest on our podcast. Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yes, I can. We're here with Vicky Tan, 
new people call her Victoria. Some people call her <laughs> VVT and all that. But uh, she's amazing, not just because she's one of the dopest product designers that we know, but also because she has worked at tech companies, large and small. Some of them are Google and Lyft and Headspace and Nemo which we'll talk about in a second. But she also was an academic as a researcher, spending a lot of time working in different types of clinics with different types of conditions. And she worked in HR and all kinds of other things. She is a lifelong student. She's done things like code path and she's just really dope. So thank you for being here with us, Vicky, and welcome. Hey, thank you. For I forgot to me. mention you flew in town from LA. Thank I you for did. doing yeah. that. So Headspace, you know, we heard a lot about Headspace. There's a lot of people. We're in the Bay right now. Mm -hmm. People talk about mindfulness. Mm -hmm. um, what does Headspace do? Yeah. So Headspace is a company that we build this app and you can use it to listen to guided meditations. Mm -hmm. And I think pretty soon we'll be looking into just a little bit more generally health and happiness yeah. uh, because we know that in order to be healthy and happy, it's it's much more. It's yeah. like you've got this full toolkit of things and meditation may just be one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really important subject. I mean, earlier this week, I read an article called United States of Work. We're here in America. Everybody's working hard, trying to pursue their dreams. Why is it important to allocate time to think and be mindful? Yeah. I mean, it's really the most important thing, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever had one of those days where you just spend all day doing things and you don't get anything done? Yeah. <laughs> or you've got this big to-do list and it somehow seems so daunting or I don't know, or like for some reason your day today just seems like much harder than any other day. Like all of that is controlled by your mind. Yeah. Um, so, so is that something that plays into the factor of like burnout, like yeah. from a job or yeah, maybe starting a company? Of course. What yeah. is burnout for the people that don't know? The definition of burnout? Yeah. I, guess, I mean, you could, you could give us the Vicky Tan yeah, version. I guess it's that feeling that you get when you've kind of hit the end of your limits and you just mm -hmm. are just like, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. When actually physically or mentally, I mean, there's no, that's all subjective, right? There's yeah. nothing if you were to see a doctor to say that you couldn't do it, but yeah. you just, the feeling is that you can't go on anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe if you like work out, at like 5 a.m. every morning, but you're not sleeping properly, your body shuts itself down? Is that stuff Stuff like that? That I mean, that one, I don't know. It, it might be a little bit more of like you're working such long hours to try to get so much done, but like in the end, it's sort of not worth it because, you know, at some point you're going to burn out because you can't, or you're not going to get anything done because you can't work anymore. Yeah, yeah. So you're a product designer. Mm -hmm. um, and we've had a few of those on the podcast. Can you kind of explain what a product designer is mm -hmm. and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis here um, and in Santa Monica? Yeah. So product designers, it's kind of a newer term used in the tech industry to describe what is sometimes called experience designer or UX designer. The reason why they call it product designer now is just because we are simply designing a digital product. So it's usually an app. And the reason why it's more than just a UX designer or an experience designer is because we do what's called full stack design. Okay. So everything from like the architecture of like, if you think it's kind of comparable to a building. So it's not just like the interior design or decoration of the building. Uh. And it's not just the exterior of how it looks. And it's not just like the doorways or like how you might go through the building. And it's not just how you might interact with the doors and the parts of the building. It's everything all together and how how those bits kind of 
interact with each other. And yeah. so it just means everything in the app. And so at tech companies, it's sort of like engineers work hand in hand with PMs and product designers to craft the product. Yeah. And for the people and, that don't know, a PM is a product manager. Ah, yes, sorry. And with uh, Headspace, which is a mindfulness app, I think this kind of adds an extra layer of, I don't know what's the best word, but because a lot of people uh, imagine design being like illustration or drawing mm-hmm. something. I, I feel like that maybe a lot of people have that misconception. But as a product designer at Headspace, can you kind of break down for us what that actually entails and like what does your day-to-day work look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of times it has nothing to do with drawing anything. I mean, the things that we draw tend to be like lots of boxes. (laughs) If you look at the interface of many apps, they tend to just be various shapes and sizes of boxes. Yeah. And then some illustration. So what I do, I can give you an example right now. The team that I'm working on is a growth team and we're focused on new user onboarding. So that's like you download the app for the first time. Maybe your friend told you about Headspace and you're wondering what it is. So you download, check it out. And it's the entire kind of flow of downloading it, registering, and then going through the product for the very first time. And for a lot of like utilitarian apps, that is simply just getting signed up and then using it. And maybe a little bit of education on like this, you know, tab does that. This tab includes these functions. For Headspace, you can imagine it can include a lot more education around, like, I bet if I were to ask you guys, you'd have some slightly different understandings of what meditation or mindfulness is, how you get there through an app. Um, You might have different reasons for downloading the app, have different concerns in your life, or maybe improvements you want to make. And so onboarding, which is something I'm working on right now, includes thinking about all of that context that the user comes to the app with. And how you might take all of those inputs and craft them into the experience so that like, not only when they get there, they're greeted in a way that's like appropriate for what they're doing there, but also you can educate about the product, kind of educate. And that's a lot to do in a world and in a a phone that's like filled with apps fighting for your attention and with an app that is trying to inherently remove you from that like kind of grip of technology yeah, yeah. and that's an that's an interesting contradiction because kind of a lot of the time people associate stress or anxiety with just mobile devices the light the uh, led light right yeah. addiction kind of, to technology yeah addiction technology like a lot of people develop dependencies on how many likes your picture gets like notifications like how many people what your friends thought of the picture you just posted right so a lot of people try to avoid the technology, right? By not using it, but you're trying to actually improve their well-being by using technology. But a lot of people might have misconceptions. So can you just dive a little deeper into how um, Headspace is different? What you guys are actually trying to do to help people with their dependencies? Yeah, that's a good question because there is a little bit of a paradox there. So the idea is that you'll use Headspace every day and you'll listen to Andy, our founder, and also a Buddhist monk. You'll listen to him guide you through basically these exercises for your mind. They're guided meditations. And you start off on shorter meditations. And he gives a lot of analogies and ways to think about meditation, your mind and thoughts in a way where you can slowly start to let go a little bit. And the time that you spend in the app and listening to the meditations, you start to get this feeling of like, now my mind is clear. And what we hope for is over time, you start to feel more and more of that outside of the app and like when stressful situations come up, when you're tested or like just finding yourself more present and in the moment. And so 
yes, while we are operating in the app, it's sort of just like a necessary evil. That's where a lot of productivity happens. That's where a lot of, just a lot of things happen, maybe yeah. except for phone calls. Yeah. And so and for, for the people that don't know, you mentioned about yeah. like on the growth team, you kind of explain yeah. what meditation is. Yeah. So I definitely want to hear you clarify what that is because some people may not know what it is. And for the people that are going to listen to this explanation, you know, we didn't cover this, but the scale of Headspace is now like millions of users, 190 countries. You guys have offices in San Francisco, London, all over the place. Like, yeah. So this is, it's not just a baby app. You, know, you guys have been doing this for years since 2010. I mean, you guys are doing something right. So can, can you kind of explain what meditation is? Yeah. I mean, that's good. This is like a test. Meditation, <laughs> my understanding is it's, it's just the act of like sitting quietly with your thoughts and kind of learning to be present and, yeah. and in the moment. For some people, that includes like letting go of the things that are worrisome to them or like some people equate it with like just distressing. I think it's different for a lot of people, but it quite literally is the name of the app, like yeah. getting some space for your head. And so it's, it's tricky. And mindfulness is, is slightly different. It's kind of like how you bring what you feel from meditation throughout your day. So if yeah. you imagine like when you're eating, instead of just like mindlessly shoveling food into your mouth, like being mindful about like what you're putting in your mouth because yeah. things become very automatic over time. Yeah. Um, or being mindful when you're walking instead of just like a lot of times we go on autopilot. Like, well, you know, we do this every day. We do the commute. We do the thing like just, you know, stepping back and thinking about it. So yeah. it is a little bit nebulous, but like that's what I understand it to be. I'm still working on it. I've yeah. been meditating with Headspace since last fall and and it's it's been great. Yeah, so yeah and it actually, it's interesting because you... Before you started working at Headspace, yeah. you were actually a user of the app. Yeah, yeah. So tell us kind of how you ended up finding, like, I guess, how, how did you end up um, getting a job here? Because you were a user for a while before then. Yeah, it's an interesting story. I was actually myself feeling really stressed out, like at the end of last year or around like, I don't know, June, July, mid to late 2016. I had just left like a really early stage startup. I was their first employee and it was just me and the founders working together. And I decided it wasn't the right path for me. And it's hard to... So I had left to join that startup. And not only was it hard to leave a very close-knit team, it was hard to then change my mind about the thing that I had left that for. It felt like a failure. It felt like quitting. Around that time, I was like had also like ended a relationship. It was also around my birthday. It was the new year. Like It was yeah, one of those wow. where you're just like, God, I'm doing something. I'm clearly not doing things right. Yeah. Right? And I had thought about like, you know, tried to seek out a therapist and speak with someone in that way, but I had also planned to travel and it, it just didn't lend itself well to traveling. So a friend had told me about Headspace and I decided to give it another go and had started using it every day. And honestly, at that point in my life, all I could do was Headspace and go to yoga, mm -hmm. which sounds like it was more of like a, a form of physical exercise that, I, that was able to kind of help me get going. But like, that was one of like, I'd never experienced that before in yeah. my life. Maybe I'd, maybe I'd been very lucky to not have, but I just never had experienced it in that way. And so I was using Headspace pretty regularly, started feeling better. And while traveling, was just kind of looking for another place to work that would just be different. I was looking to move out, out of the Bay and to kind of leave. I think a lot of people in San Francisco do feel this way about it. It gets overwhelming. It's like so much in the same place and everyone is just running so fast. Yeah. So I, in applying to other companies, I 
as a product designer, you usually have to do a design exercise where they are like, hey, pick like your favorite app and either redesign it or design a feature for it. And so I was using Headspace and like one other app a lot at that time. It was, maybe it was Medium or something. And so I was like, which one should I do? So I redesigned or I added a couple of features to Headspace and I was presenting this work at these interviews. And at some point I was like, I should just also apply to Headspace. I should show this to them. I'm using it. I followed a couple, I think I followed one of their designers on Twitter and I reached out to him. I'm like, hey. Who was that designer? His name is Frank. Oh, shout out to Frank. Shout okay. out to Frank. And <laughs> and so I messaged him and he was like so kind and happy to pass on my information. And he had this written this blog article about his experience going there, meeting Andy. Andy is our founder. Do you remember who, what it's called? His blog post? Yeah. I think it's, I don't know. It's something about... My we'll find it and put it in the show notes. <laughs> we'll no find way. it. It's yeah. such a good read. You guys yeah. should. Frank is the best. Okay. And I read that and his, with his endorsement and kind of looking at the other designers there, I decided to apply and it was just, it's been so lovely meeting people there. You've, you've got to think that like the people who want to work for this type of app, it's a little bit of a self-selecting bias of yeah. like yeah. mindful individuals. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, that, that's an awesome story. And I think it's a great segue because you gave context about being present in this moment and like having time to think outside of your normal day-to-day work. And it seems like a lot of the things that you've done in the past were working in organizations where you had time to think. Some people call it 20% time. Some people call it like hackathons that you did in the community. You mentioned you were at Lyft before it was called Lyft. You were actually like kind of like one of the first hires in design and it was called Zimride. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, so I was at Lyft when it was called Lyft, but shortly before it was called Zimride. Got it. Though Lyft came out of a hackathon at Zimride. They, so Zimride, for everyone who doesn't know, is was is <laughs> this <laughs> website where you could post, kind of like you would do on Craigslist. You could yeah. post like, I'm driving from Los Angeles to San Francisco. Does anyone need a ride? Do they want to pitch in for gas? Stuff like that. So it was for long distance ride sharing. And I think at a hackathon, maybe they came up with this idea of Zimride Instant. And another very talented designer there, I think he was, at the time, he was like an intern or something. He was on the brand team. My friend Harrison was like... Oh, I know Harrison. You know Harrison? He's one of the first people that I messaged on Twitter. Yeah, he's so... I'm staying with him this weekend. Wow. Yeah. Shout out to Harrison. Harrison and Rosie, my favorite designer. (laughs) Good people. He was like, no, no, no. We cannot call it (laughs) Zimride Instant. We've got to call it Lyft. And so when they went to go do like the URL check, like lift, like, you know, grab a lift or get a lift. Lift was taken. So they spelled it with a Y. Got it. Yeah. Gave and us some he, swag. Yeah. He also designed the original logo, which they use today. So that like, so good. So while you were there, yeah. you, you designed a lot of things, including rating and payments, the contextual ride panel, matching screens, yeah. all kinds of other things like that. Can you tell us about like the experience while it was still small mm-hmm. versus to, you know, where it was before you left? Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, so I went in there with very little experience. I had, it was kind of my first official product design job. And I got there the week or so that we were just about to launch LiftLine. So if you guys remember a little while ago, there was no LiftLine. There was just regular old Lyft and then Lyft Plus, which nobody knew about. Um, I used Lyft Plus one time. Yeah? Yeah, It was kind of cool, yeah. I remember, uh, I think LiftLine just got launched when we moved to San Francisco. And I remember like there were specific corners you had to meet on to get the lines. Maybe. Is that right? In or, the beginning, beginning? Yeah. In the beginning, I think it was like, since I don't think there was an, enough 
demand or something yeah. so there were there were certain points you had yeah, to within like a radius you had to hot spots yeah yeah oh my god I remember there was one next to Hack Reactor so when I was doing the boot camp I would oh, yeah. always we like would yeah. do that all. He, he's the master fan yeah. so it was like meet us at the hot spot yeah, yeah. save some money people <laughs> yeah. were hacking the hot, hot spots though like they were like putting it in the hot spot but then saying to the driver oh, oh, I'm, oh I'm guilty of that <laughs> So that therein is human behavior. But what's funny is I got a hot spot right at my house. I was like, yes, oh, lucky. of course. Uh, the person um, that works at love. That's weird. <laughs> hot spots were really cool because like it makes sense, right? Yeah. And now there are suggested pickup. It's like whatever you can do to make the route the most efficient. Because like it's annoying sitting in the car and you're going like three blocks all around. Yeah. Like, I'd rather yeah. walk. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so like you were like one year out as a designer we're going to talk about how you learn your design skills in a second yeah but um you know why they choose you usually like small startups hire people that are mm-hmm. more senior can you yeah. talk about that that's a good question so the role that i applied for was a senior product designer role and wow. so for context i had no experience at that point i had been an intern at google for design and then prior to that i was doing not really design i was doing some a, a type of research and so I'm not exactly sure why they did, but I suspect, and we can ask my manager at the time, Frank. He's the director of design at Lyft. Oh, wow. Mm. Shout out to the other Frank. Yeah, Frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's his last name? <laughs> Frank Yu. Frank Yu, so people are, I have clarification. Frank Yu, <laughs> yes. He's one of the best managers I've ever had. And he, I think, so two things. I mean, one, one tip for everybody out there trying to get into startups there is like, go. Look, like some of the times it's not the design director or whoever looking through the applications. It's the recruiter. And so in this case, part of it, and I talked to the recruiter after, Kiana, she really liked my oh, portfolio. Too. You do? Yeah. My, she liked my portfolio. <laughs> she liked my resume. There was like some like style, illustration style to it. It didn't look like every other designer's portfolio. And so I think that really stood out to her. Yeah. And it had nothing really to do with my product design ability, but it was like, oh, this person looks cool. Yeah. And so she passed it on to Frank and we had a really great chat. And I think he saw potential there. And yeah. I think that's super key where it's like, even if you don't have those hard skills or even if you don't have the education they want, or even if you don't even know how to use Sketch, whoops. <laughs> uh, and you spent like the past year learning Illustrator, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> but the way you tell your story and yeah. piece it together exactly. might help them draw different conclusions and exactly. see the potential that you're talking about. Exactly. And it's because like if you've got that potential and you've got the want to learn and you've got like the passion and the curiosity, like that's much more important than I already know like X, Y, Z. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, that, that's awesome. And I, I love that. You were at, you created the send ETA feature. I send that to my partner all the time. You do. I know whenever Yay. I'm about to make it <laughs> to different places. Um, and before that, you were at Google mm-hmm. um, as a designer, but also, like you mentioned, you were in People Ops. So I definitely want to layer both of those. Can you talk about People Ops because your 20% time mm-hmm. is kind of like how you started segueing into like becoming a designer yeah, and like what you were doing there and how your psychology major like helped. Yeah. study yeah. people. So yes, for context, I studied behavioral psychology and I joined Google uh, on a team that was doing a type of industrial organizational psychology, which is to say, I think some of you might have heard of, or if you look up Laszlo Bach, he's the, yep. the author of, I think it's called Work Rules or something like that. It's a great book. Yeah. And it's about a lot of these things that you hear about, like 
how to form the best teams or, or effective teams, how like good managers operate and, you know, like just a lot of like the interworkings of like what makes companies successful via their people. And I was on a team that was interested in looking at how we hire, but, but more of like the science and sort of the predictive ability behind interviewing and sort of assessment. And so in an interview, it's a really interesting time because you only have 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour to understand if this person is going to be good for years and years to come. And at Google, they want many years and in many roles. And not only do they want good people. They want great people. They want the best, like that top layer because they can be picky and they're doing a lot of big things. So on that team, we were working on just a framework. We were doing research and we were conducting interviews. We were writing questions. We were building out basically a rubric for understanding behavior and how we can predict success. And in my 20% time, I ended up taking that framework and building out a tool with it. So that was like my first foray into product design. I didn't was even that know the, that was that was what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. But what was, the tool was a... At the top, I mean, it was a s- scoring and assessment tool, I yeah. suppose, but it was integrated into G-Hire, which is Google's applicant tracking system. Got it. So that's what everybody means by ATS. Yes. What's exactly. interesting about you designing that tool is like you got the job through referral. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Can you explain that process? Yeah. So I had applied to Google a long time ago or just earlier for some sort of just a role to get into Google, which is what people will do. They'll be like, oh, this is like an entry level role, like recruiting coordinator or admin sometimes or something like that. And I remember at some point, I think when I was thinking of not being in academia anymore, when I was thinking of maybe not going to grad school, I think I just applied, like a friend actually had suggested, why don't you consider tech? I was like, I don't know how to program a computer. Uh, Why don't you consider something else? And so I had applied to that. He kind of had told me like, look, there's other roles. Like it's a company also more than just like engineers. And so I didn't get that one. But I remember later on, the recruiter told me that I had been flagged as in the system as G for G, which is good for Google. And it's also their way of like saying like, hey, again, this person has potential but maybe this isn't just the right role for them. And so they kind of keep you on the back burner for other stuff. And so it was that when this experimental team came up, maybe the recruiters had searched like psychology and good for Google. Mm -hmm. And so we came up with this really interesting like motley crew of people who had slightly different backgrounds related to HR, psychology, social, like whatever, working on this team. And we had 10 people building out this, this framework. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's really cool. And so for the people that don't know, 20% time is? 20% time is something that started at Google, and I think many other companies do it. And it's just this idea, it's usually for engineers, that you can take 20% of your time or roughly one day a week, or you could spread it out however you want, doing something that you're passionate about and related to work. So maybe not like ceramics, but maybe, you know, building out a side project for, you know, if you really like ceramics, then maybe it's like, for finding ceramic studios. I don't know. Maybe it's <laughs> yeah. like something like that. Sort of tech related. Yeah. For example, at Google, Gmail was a 20% oh, yeah. project. And I'm trying to think of the Google other Google Maps. Ones. Like Maybe, or yeah. Or a bunch like of them. Yeah. A lot yeah. of them. Yeah. And it's this idea that you give, you've got all these smart people in a room, or sorry, you've got all the smart people at your company, and you just give them a little bit of time to breathe and to relax and like, there's something that happens when you get to work with without this like 
heavy pressure of like, I must build this thing, I must deliver. And it's a little bit more open. It's like, hey, I like this. So I'm already kind of thinking freely about it in my free time. Plus, hey, I'm good at this, which is for developers like building stuff. You smash those together and you get this like cool, like place where you're just like having fun, building something in your free time when your mind is like a little bit relaxed. Yeah. And what was interesting about what you told us in the pre-chat is that, you know, there's these people that had 20% time, but given that you are such, yeah, at the time you were like mm-hmm. still a super workaholic, you did 120% <laughs> time where you like put in all your hours, but you also made time in your 168 hours in a week to focus on <laughs> what you were passionate That's about. Math. Yeah. I mean, so when you're in a non-technical role at Google, it is a little more loose. It's that like you are at liberty to use all the resources that Google has, which is so many, but it's not like official 20% time. You still have your job and then you can do whatever you want on the side. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was a thing that I took on on the side that ended up becoming like part of work, which is really great. I love what, how you broke that down because you know, there's some people that will work on projects for the companies mm-hmm. that they work for. But some people will, you know, work on a project that they are passionate about Yeah, that might end up being a future company exactly. that they could have worked on, like on the weekends when they weren't working or things like that. Or they could be in a boot camp working on fake projects. But you talked about a difference about the importance of working on real projects versus fake projects that people use and ideally ones that make an impact. Can you go in and enlighten the people in that regard, please? Yeah. I mean, it's not to say working on fake projects is not worthwhile. It's just for me personally, I think when you're busy with regular work, when you have, I think myself, I come from a place where I want to see that impact, which is why I was working in research, which is why I am working at Headspace right now. It's that like, I just can't convince myself to work on fake projects. Like, I'm not, like I said, I say this a lot, I'm lazy. Like it's lazy, but it's efficient, right? It's like, it's finding, it's sometimes lazy and it it means to me I'm efficient. And so if I'm working on a fake project, it's like, why? why? Like there's so many real, You're using your time. You only have a limited amount of time. Exactly. What are you spending it on? And there's so many people that need the help and it doesn't matter if you don't do it, you know? So what what advice would you have for people listening (laughs) who... I guess want to build, they want to experiment, yeah. but maybe their work doesn't allow them or doesn't have the, they don't yeah. have the privilege to do this. Yeah, so what, yeah. what advice would you have for them? Well, so what I did aside from that 20% project was I participated in some hackathons, some online communities. The most you can do, and this is really a good way to hold yourself accountable, is to just tell people you're trying to get into it. And what will happen is like these opportunities will magically present themselves. Mm-hmm. So you say, hey, I'm trying to get into design. Do you know any designers? Do you know anyone that needs help? And then I remember for that, what happened for me was I got invited to do things or I got invited to like just participate and like join things. And it's like in the beginning, it might be that you're just watching. And then later on, you start doing a little, but you, you kind of think it sucks. And then, you know, later on, there's no one to do it. So you do it a little more and get some feedback. And that's the other part about doing real projects is like, if you release it into the wild, because it's a real thing, you get feedback. People yeah. are using it. You can make it better. Like you actually help like. There's, it's just so much better. Yeah. And it's fun for you to see. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so related to just kind of like getting up to this, this point, you, were in, you quit your job to do this job at Google. You were a full-time researcher mm-hmm. or academic mm-hmm. at 
Stanford in the oncology department or something like that. Yeah. What was, tell us about that. Yeah. So I was more of like a research coordinator or a research assistant. And that, that was just sort of, so I studied, because I studied behavioral psychology, like at the time, which was about 10 years ago, you, there's not a ton you can do. At the time, there wasn't a ton you could do with a social science background, especially psychology. You could go into like therapy or you could go into research. And I tried a little bit working with the mentally ill. I was like a, a support person at a, a type of halfway house and it was a lot of work. So much, like so many props to the people who do that as their full-time job. It, it seems like we should be paying people the other way around because that is really where all the effort is. Tried that for a little bit and decided to like focus more on the research because honestly, because it was easier. Like I couldn't do the other thing. Yeah. What, what is a halfway house for the people that don't know? Yeah. So for people who are mentally ill, they may be admitted into a hospital for full-time care. And before they're out and ready to live on their own, they, I don't know if this is actually the right word, but they live in a shared community, like housing community where there are therapists and doctors and people like me who are just like pretending to be like helpers. <laughs> and what they do is they just go about everyday life, but in a, a kind of like a more of a protected community where yeah. you get assistance shopping, get assistance doing dishes, and you get assist like you are with like people. You're more aware of the conditions and the situation, so you're not, they're not completely in the wild with yeah. people that could potentially harm yeah. them. or Yeah, it's like an internship, like a yeah. living internship yeah. where you get help. <laughs> And so I was helping them out there, but it was, it was so tiring. It was very hard. And it was a little bit scary for me being like just out of school and often dealing with like older men and women who, who were like, it was just intimidating for a young person. I just, I didn't have, like, I'm hopefully I could do it now, but it was hard. So I switched over to this more of an academic track because I wanted to go back to school. And so that just meant like working at, I went to school at UCSD, so I got a job at UCSD doing research in their alcoholism lab. Then after that, I moved to San Francisco and I got a job in pulmonology at UCSF. And then finally, I was at Stanford doing studies in pediatric oncology, which is is really great at Lucille Packard. Pediatric oncology is an area that doesn't get a lot of attention because mostly older people get cancer, right? Yeah. But it's such a shame when a child or baby is born with or gets cancer. And since it's such a small population, it doesn't get a lot of funding and research. And so for these families that have a child or, or newborn who has some sort of cancer, this study is a way for them to get treatment by donating like their samples and, and sort of that information to research. So they don't have to pay for their treatment. They're just oh, wow. a part of the research. And yeah. so that's a big benefit. And it's not that it's an experimental drug. It's it's an experimental therapy, which is something your doctor would do anyway. And so it's more like, do we give chemo and then radiation? Or it's it's sort of like that. It's not like some crazy new drug. We only try it on rats or something like that. Yeah, so it was really yeah. great. Yeah. And again, that type of environment, just the best people choose yeah. to work in pediatric. Not me, but like all the doctors and <laughs> yeah. nurses, like you think in your head, you hear about that and you're like, man, that should be so sad. It was not a sad place at all to yeah. work. What was your kind of mindset when you were obviously did a lot of these research studies, you've worked a lot of these great universities and clinics, and then when you were deciding to move into a completely different field, yeah. kind of take us back <laughs> to that moment and tell us, like, share some of the things you were going through and like, what was your decision-making process like? And yeah, yeah. tell us about some of, some of the fears you may have had. Yeah, I was pretty, I mean, 
it's weird because at that point I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was sort of a concession that I was working in research. I was like, okay, this is something I'm passionate about. I don't love the day to day, but I love what it means and what we're doing. And it's just, it's scary. Like I had gone through all the motions of applying through for graduate school and kind of thinking about going back to NYU. And it was, it was about like giving up my full-time job for like a maybe career and giving up that admission back to school for a maybe and like moving into a field or even a company that was filled with like what you think are like the people that go to Google are so smart. They have like PhDs and who knows what. And they're like, I don't know, all these like crazy triathlete, like Olympians. And they also are just creating, yes, you hear about this type that they hire. Yeah. It's a little bit of a, a myth, not a myth, but there's tons of different people there. Yeah. And definitely want to talk a little bit more about, you know, what your parents felt about that and, you know, what they, you know, what they did and like who they are and like those values and how that led you to psychology. But before doing that, what were some of the you know, biggest lessons and conclusions that you drew from being in an academic working with those different peoples and some perceived advantages that you might have seen from those people, mm. disadvantages. Yeah. And I know I'm asking like five different things <laughs> this question, but like when you describe the types of people in a pediatric oncology yeah. department, yeah, yeah. the word, the first word that jumped out to me was hope. Yes. So I would imagine like a lot of people that are there are very hopeful yeah. and like they have a lot of faith. They want to, you know, do everything that they can to mm-hmm. try to make sure that this young life is able to continue yeah, on going yeah. forward. So, you know, what are some of the things that you learned um, that you think that helped you in this transition? Yeah, that's a good. So, I mean, in some ways it was just being a part of academic research. You find that things happen very slowly and these people have just so much patience and perseverance. <laughs> and so it's that like I saw how hard they work day in and day out. And it's not that they have these like tech company benefits and it's not like that they're rich or anything. And it's not that like, it's not easy. And so I learned there that like things take a long time and it's okay. And it's not always good, but like as long as you can help, you know, you're doing something. Yep. So (laughs) this is hard. Perseverance. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was, it was interesting. Like these people, you know, they're willing to push through yeah. when everyone's saying that's impossible. The families are probably, you know, very stressed out. Yeah. Um, they don't have a lot of thinking space. They probably, you know, are very sad. And it's yeah. important to have yeah. a strong figure that helps them push through. So what other qualities did those people have? I mean, those people were just amazing. Just, I think they had, they were able to just focus in on what needed to be done. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of, it's a special skill to be able to kind of, not be weighted down by all of the potential worry or the numbers or like the weight of the situation, but sort of stepping back a little, just the, I think just the experience of working with them and kind of having a life outside of working in tech, or not a life, sorry, a career working outside of tech has made me, I guess, much more, whether it's grounded or appreciative or whatever, it just gives me perspective now working in tech. And I think that's important. You find all these you, I meet all these people in, in, in startups or in, in the companies I've worked for where, you know, they go to great schools. They're so smart. The first job they get out of school is at like a Google or a Facebook or something like that. And then, or maybe a startup. And it's like, they come in with like free food, you know, like crazy benefits. They don't have to do their laundry and getting massages. And like, all of that is great, but like. That's not real life. Yeah. Yeah. That's not real (laughs) life. You have to be like, I think not working in tech before tech has taught me a lot of humility for like, mm-hmm. yeah, like sometimes you have to drink Folgers and like 
you know, like sit in the cubicle and fucking oops, I got to yeah, <laughs> and no, just say do these things that are not yeah, fun, ideal or fun, and and maybe for a long time. And so some of it is just that perspective or the fact that like working in a hospital, it is life and death. Working in tech, although it sometimes feels like it. It's not life and death. Yeah. I mean, given, I mean, now yeah. health, health is moving. Ruben and I used to work together, like, I don't know, a hundred hours a week, yeah. Yeah. just kind of slaving away in a cubicle. Yeah. And it definitely puts things in perspective when you go from that to tech, which is still challenging, but mm-hmm. it's way more creative, more mm-hmm. flexibility. And you kind of start appreciating things about your job or like what you're doing versus yeah. if you just, I feel like if I just got to tech right away, I probably wouldn't have that perspective like you mentioned. But, but exactly. I did appreciate being in the cubicle for 100 hours working with them. We got yeah. to know each other very well. Yeah. <laughs> in the trenches. In the trenches. In the trenches. And so your parents, so how did they feel about all of this? I know, you know, they said they were immigrants from mm-hmm. Taiwan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I think my mom... To a point, like, I didn't have a strong direction up till that point. So for her, it was like, okay, you know, think about what you're doing. And as long as you're confident, like, go for it. It's, I think later on, it became a little bit more questionable when I wanted to quit Google <laughs> for a startup she had never heard of that was spelled wrong. Like, <laughs> so I think at that point, That's it was awful. still okay, because like, I was kind of wishy-washy anyway. I think she had probably in her mind thought, well, graduate school is a path I know and understand and is probably more certain. Whereas, you know, working for this company that you might not stay at beyond three months is is a question mark. And my mom is now a financial planner and she's all about like, you know, planning for the long term and risk mitigation and stuff like mm-hmm. that. This yeah. was not I was not mitigating <laughs> risk. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Kind of take us back to when you quit Lyft and you started working for the small startup because I think a lot of people sometimes kind of wonder what it's like to be at a big company, at a small company, yeah. a two-person company. Can you just describe some of the challenges you encountered and like, how did that compare to your job at Lyft? Mm-hmm. You mean working at the very early stage startup? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't know if I said this part, but I left Lyft after about two years because I wanted a little bit more responsibility. The mm-hmm. company was growing really fast and being one of the early hires, I felt like I had kind of hit this ceiling of like, okay, I'm doing stuff here, but I want to be doing much more. And of course, life always does this thing where like they bring someone to you to be like, hey, do you want this big opportunity doing something more? <laughs> and so a Google Ventures entrepreneur in residence had recently left Google Ventures to start a new fintech company and had asked me, reached out to me via another design entrepreneur and another referral yeah another referral it's a common thread here yeah and asked if i wanted to be their first employee their first designer they call it a founding designer and i said no of course not like (laughs) i don't know how to do that i don't even know how to do what i'm doing right now (laughs) (laughs) but like i talked with some of my friends about it and i kind of thought about it and i was like you know what? Like, why not? Like, yeah. I think a lot of the thought at that point and throughout is like, you can always go back to what you're doing. It's not always where someone in your network that you trust that has like, you know, all the signs point to like this, they know what they're doing. And this is an area that we should be investing in. Like, you don't get that opportunity every day, but it's often that you can go back to other things. Yeah. So that company was just, when I started, it was just three people. It was two founders and myself. And we, we were in a room, kind of like in a, a loft, very much like this one, if you were yeah. to like chop it in half. 
And it was hard. It was hard not having a team. It was hard not having like the people, like just the conversations. Yeah. I'm one of those people in the office that like chats with everyone, like, yeah. <laughs> but chats with everyone, like everyone else. Like I'll chat with like the like kitchen person. I love and like, that. The, yeah, I like, love I that. mean, because the you see them all. Yeah, you see them all the time and they're great. Like, I mean, at Google, we had baristas, like just all of the, the people in between because yeah, a lot like, of times nobody says hi to. Yeah, and they're so great. So I missed a lot of like what you might consider like water cooler talk. I don't know, like the the talk and the and the moments in between, like the workplace and like just. I mean, it's not really working. It's like like wasting time at work. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like some. Uh, I mean, a lot of people need that to unwind because yeah. it's unrealistic to expect someone to work eight hours straight. Yeah, right? yeah, and you yeah. Kind yeah. of like you do want to connect and socialize, and that's why a lot of startups have these like playrooms and ping pong and yeah. where you just go and relax for 20 minutes and then exactly. you go back to work. Exactly. And to her point, sometimes though, like the baristas and the janitors and things like that, they might hear things and observe things that you may not even pay attention to that might give you a perspective that adds value to your product. Yeah, exactly. Like having a chat with them and not just just talking to your coworkers all day, it's so helpful and yeah. it helps you like take a step back and like just get out of that problem or whatever meeting you were just in or whatever, just for a second, because like the real world is out there and that also matters. So that, that company was just so different. I mean, your manager is your CEO is your product manager is your only other coworker. You know what I mean? And you're sitting there like working with the one same person all day. And it's great if that's the way you can work. I found out that I actually do need the design team. I need to like have a little bit more to go off of. It's very hard for me at this point to think about building a product from nothing to something. Yeah. Rather, at Headspace and at Lyft, I was doing more of the optimization. So mm-hmm. this is a flow that exists. How do I make it better? How do I make it smoother? How do I make it more delightful? Yeah. So, and probably has a lot to do with not going to design school and not like, I don't know how to create a style guide and I don't know how to like, set up a system and things like that. I think that's also important for people to understand, like you kind of need to discover what your strengths and weaknesses are and focus on your strengths. Or if you have weaknesses, like if you want to develop those skills, like... Yeah, yeah, totally. But I think it's also kind of, I think it sounded like you actually put yourself under a lot of pressure because you were trying to make yourself into something you weren't like, you were like a product designer. So you could kind of think about optimizations and experience, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't realistic to expect that you would also like do all the illustrations or all the actual yeah. website design and because yeah. it, it is a lot of people think that hey I'm going to start a company and I don't know I'm just going to hire one person yeah. who's going to do the website design yeah. he'll he'll also build it for me and I'm just going to be the ideas guy yeah. but in reality there's teams of dozens of people that build these products sure. that we use every day so it's not <laughs> It's usually more than just one person <laughs> in charge of each of these departments. And don't get me wrong. There are definitely people out there that are really good at doing mm-hmm. all of that. And they go broad and that they can do like your very first app. And I, I don't have the doubt in my mind that I couldn't have become that person. It was in that environment I couldn't mm-hmm. have. I, yeah. And that became clear to me as mm-hmm. I was in it. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to be pretty good at a lot of things. I mm-hmm. wanted to like become really good at this thing that I was already interested in, which yeah. is a little more on the experience side. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And can you t- take us to kind of, once you've realized that, what uh, kind of what actions did you take to get out of that situation or kind of to bring yourself back to center? And then just share some of the things that kind of, maybe some of the, so you mentioned that you were kind of, it kind of shoot, it took you off uh, your center because 
kind of you've left this big company lift and mm-hmm. you took this chance that ended up not working out as you expected and mm-hmm. then kind of that also led you to eventually led you to headspace but <laughs> yeah. before that tell us kind of what that was like and how did you cope with that transition yeah that was really hard because i had to think long and hard about leaving lift mm-hmm. lift if you remember is the place where mm-hmm. They gave me my first chance. I learned everything I knew about or everything I know about design up till that point there. They were like family, you know, and that was something really special. And so to leave that for this opportunity was really sad, but exciting. And then to find out several months later that like, uh oh, like it's not that I made the wrong choice, Mm -hmm. but like I'm not happy or sort of flourish. Yeah. And it's like different than I had expected or somehow I was struggling. That is like very hard to swallow. Like there are many people who would just keep going at it, yeah. like because they made a decision. And I don't know if I would call it like there's two ways to look at it, right? You can consider yourself a quitter because you couldn't do it, or you consider yourself someone who tried something that maybe many other people wouldn't have tried. Mm-hmm. And then being able to realize that, like, to have kind of like the self awareness to understand mm-hmm. that, like, if it's not feeling good for me, it's probably not good for them or the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And totally. so it was hard though. It took a lot of like talking <laughs> and sort of like a lot of people were just like, just do it. Like, yeah. yeah. And like, like, so it was a very difficult time. And, you know, shout out to everyone that had to hear me say, just like agonize about yeah. this decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. And, and yeah. It's, it's about perspective for sure. And speaking of Lyft teaching you everything that you know or a lot of things that you know about design. Um, initially, what are the fundamental things that a designer should know? Hmm, that's a good question. You mean a product designer? Product designer. That's very tricky. Product yeah. design is so multifaceted. So, and even within my team or any team, because it's a new field, you get a very a big variety of the things that people are good at. So for example, on any given team, I might work with someone that is better at illustration or better at like the sort of interaction design or even like more of like the animation stuff like motion. There's some people who come from a background of UX and they can really think about like the flows and like the problems we're solving and kind of start to get into like the design research realm where it's like, who are your users and how are we helping them? And so that's actually one of the daunting things about getting into it. I remember when I was at Google, I was like, okay, I know I like this. I'm not good at it. Where do I begin? And it's like, do I learn to code a little bit or do I learn some front end? Do I learn to be really good at these visual design programs, which eventually, you know, lead into some of the motion design stuff or there's so many places you can go. That in itself is overwhelming for, I remember feeling that as a person trying to get in. So what did you do? (laughs) I mean, really you pick one, you pick the one that appeals to you because again, that's the easiest when you're lazy, you pick the easiest one and you work on that. And so for me, it was learning Illustrator and a little bit of like HTML, CSS, like in service of making a portfolio. So again, I was like, I don't want to just make fake projects. What I'm going to do is set up a portfolio. And to do that, I had to learn a little bit of front end development Mm -hmm. and a little bit of Illustrator. And so I learned those things. And then I was able to transition into more of a communication design role at Google. And on that team, you know, I learned a little more from there and there. And it's so it wasn't about intentionally deciding. It was about just doing yeah. what and what is communication design yeah that communication design i don't i mean i don't know exactly it's it's um for a lot of companies it is 
more of like an email designer, but it's the idea of like designing the things that communicate out to mm. your users. Yeah. Usually not to do with interaction and usually not to do with UX motion, anything like that. Yeah. But it's more like, this is the message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I'm trying to be a product designer, a communication yeah. designer, yeah. you know, what things should I have? What checkboxes should I meet? Like for a typical like product design interview screen that mm. will make sure that I come correct. Yeah, that's a, that's helpful. So, I mean, you've got to have some level of visual design mm-hmm. chops. Like as much as I hate to say it, people judge you. Like you get judged by the what do you call what they call the book, the cover, the book, oh, the cover, <laughs> the cover of the book. <laughs> the cover of book. It, it's just a book by its cover, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like being presentable in your interview. Like in some ways, we are humans, and what we see first, we do make some sort of judgment. And yeah, so, if you don't have like the level of polish where it looks like professional and sort of some amount of style, then you can't get very far. So your portfolio, your resume, exactly, like anything your presentation, that kind of any communication between you and the company. Yeah. If you're in product design, then you need to think about that experience. Exactly. Because that's yeah. the first layer, right? Mm-hmm. And that's also the layer that everyone can comment on. You can be amazing, like conceptual thinker, amazing sort of at thinking about stuff, but like outside, it's so ugly. No one's going to even want to come in. So, and then there's, of course, just like, I think they would call that traditionally UX design or something. And it's thinking about the flows, interface design, which is a little bit more around like kind of the difference between graphic or visual design and product design. It's like, you can draw a bunch of things, but if no one knows what they do and what they are, it's a little bit more of a practical bit Mm. of visual design. It's like buttons and and sort of menus and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And there are just so many. There's... Yeah. But... I'm trying to think which ones I've forgotten. It would do you some good if you're trying to work on mobile to at least learn a little bit of motion design and then interaction design because as you know, you touch your phone yeah, uh, and you have to like interact with the app to get it to do anything. So, yeah. And yeah. so finally, before we move into a lightning round, I want to kind of like <laughs> circle back to the intro and how we, we said your name. It's an amazing name. Yeah, we okay. covered all the different ways to say it. But I think that it's it's really cool that you said a story about victory mm. um, in your family. <laughs> yeah, can, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about that story and why it's special to you and how it kind of like continues to be with you today and you continue to achieve things that you know, yeah. some people may not have thought would be possible? Yeah. So warning, this is the cheesy part of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I have a cool story about how I got my name. I was Actually, my mom, I should say, was traveling throughout Europe and she went into early labor and the plane had to emergency land at the time we were living in Connecticut. And so it landed at Yale Medical Center because they knew like, wow, this baby's a couple months early. We've got to rush her to the NICU, which stands for Neonative Intensive Care Unit. And so I was born on November 16th. Okay. And Birthday's coming up. It's coming up. <laughs> and I was only two pounds. And at the time, that was like about the lightest baby sort of record or something, maybe 1.9 or something to do with wow. illness. And I had to spend a lot of time in the NICU in an incubator and I could only be touched through these like gloves. It's yeah. funny because you have to touch the baby to develop this connection, but you can't really touch the baby. Interesting. <laughs> and so it was very touch and go, pun intended, for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't sure if I was going to make it. And it, it was kind of like, we'll see. And when, when I did... It was a victory. And yeah. so they decided to name me Victoria. So my wow. full name is Victoria. Don't call me that. It usually <laughs> means I'm in trouble. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. That's an amazing story. 
And something else that you mentioned was that you, you actually took a code path for designers class yeah. while you were a course while you were at Lyft. Yeah. And I just wanted to like uh, remind our listeners that CodePath is actually an amazing program both for designers and engineers. Folks who have a few years of experience and we recently actually made, I guess you call it a partnership where CodePath helped create a fellowship where now Breaking the Startups community members could apply. They'll waive some of the requirements to make it more accessible to people from non-traditional backgrounds. It's super exciting. We already had a few people get into the engineering track, but uh, you did the design track, right? Yeah, so can yeah. you just share some of, the, uh, some of the stuff from the program and what you took away from it? Yeah. So we took it as a team at Lyft, which is just like another one of the amazing things that Lyft as a design team and as an organization set up for us. One of our leads, Patrick Wong, great designer. <laughs> he had taken it already and he'd become like one of the mentors, I believe, or something like that. He had such good things to say about it. like, And he was just busting out this like crazy work. He has an app called Tipsy. Okay. It's about calculating your tip. Uh, okay. <laughs> kind okay. of like the project you would do at CodePath. Yeah, um, I think that's actually one of the entrance exactly. exams. Like exactly. Ex- yeah. exactly. And so he ended up shipping it. And I have it today still on my phone. And <laughs> it's just cool that he got it in the app store. And like yeah. it's now something people can use. And so we got our whole team on it. And it was really great because we, we paired up. Um, we were doing it all together. One mm-hmm. thing that feels hard about CodePath on your own is You've got your job and it's something you're doing at night, but it's a lot of work. It's like hours and hours of work. And if you suck at Swift like me, like it's, it's just like takes up your whole day. It's, yeah. it's more hours than they anticipate. Yeah. And then I anticipate. And the program is intended for designers, <laughs> but the intention is to introduce you to some of the concepts, language, yeah. Yeah. and actually build a project by the end, right? Yeah. So you actually do use Xcode. You learn. So Swift is just like the newest iOS programming language. Mm. So you learn to build a, well, no, the entrance thing is a tipping app. And then you learn to build whatever app you want. Our team, which is cool because I got to do with my manager and my, my lead. And so you're working in a team with people who you don't normally get to work with in mm-hmm. this way. And, and week after week, like you do a little project, you do some pair programming, and then you do some homework, you ask people for help, and then you kind of present the next time you meet. And it's just so fun. It's so fun to like switch gears for a little bit and learn something new or get frustrated or just watch these tutorials. Like Tim is also kind of like, did you work with Tim? Um, I've met met Tim, but I haven't actually taken the code path yet. Yeah. He's like a really interesting guy where Mm. I think every cohort, he's experimented with a different learning method. So sometimes it's like, let's get them to do the homework ahead of time and do this in the class, or let's get them to do and he's just like, I think he's doing research on us <laughs> and how well we turn out. But it was great. Like you develop a lot of empathy for developers. You understand why certain things take longer and don't like, cause some stuff is out of the box. Some stuff is custom. And it's just, it's the same as like developers learning a bit about design. It's just, you know, you wouldn't work with an architect who didn't know anything about construction or, mm-hmm. or building or sort yeah. of things like that. And it just, it grounds you and it makes you a realistic designer. You know what yeah. I mean? It makes you a more effective designer mm-hmm. and also empowers you as a designer to be like, well, if I d- did want to build something mm-hmm. slowly, maybe I could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as an engineer, like I definitely appreciate designers who take the time to even like kind of, I mean, nowadays you could take an HTML course and it could be like a one hour course where you build a simple landing page. Yeah. But just even having, doing, having done that, it kind of gives you the appreciation of something that the other person you can be working with yeah. Uh, does and then it you have like some commonality you have shared terms and language and exactly. then uh, when you're, you're explaining something instead of just saying 
hey, I need you to do this, you could say, oh, well, let's add some more margin on this side or padding and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like you become, you speak the same language, you're on the same team, Mm -hmm. like you're now kind of standing on the same, I don't know, land mass together Mm -hmm. instead of two islands. (laughs) I was like, wait, what do I call two (laughs) islands together? (laughs) I I love that you brought up because, um, you know, there's a, a lot of people talk about the importance of you know engineering engineers having design skills and designers having engineering mm-hmm. skills and things like that and so we're going to cover that in future episodes big debate but, um, on twitter huge debate <laughs> um but it's going to be uh we're going to cover that it's okay be good so good. thank that you for bringing that yeah. up that's john Mida, by the way oh so great that's, it's about to go down in a major wow. way and thank you for introducing it to our community yeah so um archer take us to the lightning room yeah so this is the part where we ask you a few questions if you could give us tactical answers, uh, keep them relatively short, but okay. we want our listeners to take away some um, nuggets that they can apply to their everyday life. Oh, God. Yeah. Let's so, Ruben, uh, take it away. Test. Yeah. So, let's say that you are wanted to design like a project related to mindfulness that was like a side project or whatever like that, that was related to yoga or something like that. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to like start thinking about those types of things if I'm new and I'm trying to create my first portfolio project? Mm, yeah. I mean, hopefully it's because you are interested in mindfulness or yoga to begin with, right? Yeah. And then you can start by just immersing, Immerse. <laughs> immersing yourself in like whether it's those places or with those people or in, in a way where you can start to think about like how might I build this product for I think you're saying for yoga mindfulness? Yeah, yeah, yoga mindfulness. And so, you know, get inspired by kind of putting yourself in that situation and then just try to understand, like, what's the landscape? Are there other people doing it? Are there other apps or products or services that you can learn from that are doing, like, the type of interaction you would like, you know, for your product, but in other spaces? Are there other physical like group or anything activities that are doing what you want, but not you, like you want to productize mm-hmm. it. Or, like just what else exists in the world that you can learn from? So like, observe. Yeah, observe. And I think talk to people and just start sketching, get inspired, like mm-hmm. create a board, a mood board or whatever. Would taking like a paint class or a drawing class be helpful if I'm thinking about being a designer? Because I know sometimes people don't yeah. need to draw at all. Yeah, I can't draw. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're interested in that and that's the way, like, if that's like the thing that occurs to you, definitely. Yeah. And it feels like a better path than, rather than starting with the end result, like I want to be a designer. If you started with like, I want to take this paint class or drawing class, you might end up in a better place where maybe you're like this illustrative brand designer or something like that, rather yeah. than kind of forcefully jumping to the thing you want to be. Which is kind of what happened at that startup where I was like, I want to be in this position where I have more responsibility and ownership rather than kind of like taking the path that slowly got me there. Yeah. What music do you listen to? Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of hip hop and rap. Mm -hmm. I was like big into like underground hip hop and stuff. In, like MF Doom? <laughs> yeah, in yeah. college. And Mad Lib? Yeah, but it's like graduated <laughs> to more of just like standard hip hop and rap. And then sort of weirdly also lots lots of like chill wave, chill music. Like, okay. I don't know, like Bonobo and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, it's weird. <laughs> it's two things that have nothing to do with each other. But 
Bad, bad, not good is like super yeah. chill, but hip hop. So that's exactly. cool. You got a good balance. Yeah. yeah. I see. It's a vibe. And whatever, like yeah. whatever in between. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice. Wait, uh, wait, wait. What do you guys, okay. what do you Oh, what do I listen yeah. to? Well, I'm a cellist, so it really depends on wow. my mood, right? So, you know, I could go all the way from listening to Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony or Rachmaninoff's Sonata, Cello Sonata, to also listening to like maybe, like yesterday I was listening to Wu-Tang Revolution, mm. Bells of War. Gotcha. And then this morning on my way here, I was listening to It's a Vibe mm. and um, Bounce Back by Big Sean. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah. I actually listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I definitely like music and like when it comes on for sure. But in terms of my free time, um, mm-hmm. there's like, I think every week I pick up new podcasts to check out. Cool. Part of it is because I'm curious yeah. and I want to improve. But part of it is there's so many amazing topics out there. So many. And I'm big oh into self-improvement. So yeah. yeah just, What's your favorite podcast episode outside uh, of working in the startups? Um, <laughs> let me look at my app right now. Wait, if you guys want to learn a little more about mindfulness one that i was listening to recently was sam harris's have okay. you heard that one it's called waking it. up he gets a little like long-winded it's okay but uh it's very sort of it goes very deep he has a great last name so i'm definitely checking right. it out and this <laughs> morning like speaking of wake up podcast i listened to the jacko podcast obviously yeah. i always listen to jacko yeah. podcast mm-hmm. and then Tax Stone podcast, the Donald Trump episode and race episode, which were actually like really good. I'm um, just covering the landscape. Mm-hmm. But anyway, what's your yeah. favorite? Um, so recently I started listening to like security oriented podcasts. And I, I think that's something that a lot of people oh, yeah. uh, are aware of to some degree that, hey, there's private, like you yeah. need to know about your privacy and data. But at the same time, like actually going out there and educating yourself, it's kind yeah. of tricky because like you start reading blogs or stuff. It just kind of feels overwhelming. Yeah. So I started listening to podcasts called Hackable and every episode they break down a different way that people could get hacked. Oh no. And a lot of it is like, sometimes it's based on like a movie scene and then they'll yeah. have an expert talk about whether it's possible or mm-hmm. not. And so it's kind of entertaining and yeah. it's almost like a episode you would watch on tv yeah like um, mr robot yeah like exactly <laughs> so they actually take a episode from mr robot like okay. one of the scenes and they basically ask like hey is this possible yeah. but I, I find it pretty cool i think that a lot of people will eventually start to realize that we put so much information out there that protecting yourself is important so hackable is definitely a very cool podcast i'm checking that one out i think that's important yeah everybody's getting hacked these days yeah, there's yeah. a reply all it's oh, kind i of, love that one yeah yeah it's They're kind so, of tech related so but yeah super goofy so if you just want some good time to relax yeah. masters of scale um, oh, yeah. Larry Huffman, Great podcast. Mm. um they interview some of the best entrepreneurs so talk about how they grow growth mm. yeah scaling yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what else uh wait yeah. are we doing Podcasts? Yeah. Do you have yeah. any favorite ones? I have ones? so many. Yeah, tell Break us. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, wait, did I cut you off though? What was no, the last that's, one? I mean, I have like 50 here. So, okay. <laughs> these are the recent <laughs> ones that I've been listening to. I'm just going to do, I'm going to do not techie design mm-hmm. ones because I think those are sometimes more interesting. I really like Song Exploder. If you guys hadn't, haven't song heard it. Song Exploder. Yeah. So, nice. it's cool because they'll take a song every week and, and the host, he just has this great voice and they break it down. Like um, one time they talked to Solange and oh. talked about where she was at that point in her life when she was writing that song mm. and how she came up with like that piano riff or how she, you know, got the drums for that part. And there's oh. like a backstory to every single wow. portion of the song. And it's great because you'll hear 
that part of it. You'll hear that part. Not the that end. Like the he plays the podcast. whole. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Is that for songs as well? Yeah. Similar. Okay. Nice. Similar. You said they play the song at the end. Yeah. Nice. And it's a, a little bit more of a narrative, and it's like the artist telling their story, and then the song is kind of there to accompany. I like that. Yeah, I wonder yeah. how that works from a licensing perspective, but I'm going to check that out. Well, like the, that. the artists are there to just concerts, I'm yeah. assuming. They've given permission. Oh, it is the artist. Yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah. true. Yeah. Some people, yeah, that's true. But, you know, Radiolab and Freakonomics are all-time favorites. Oh, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Design Matters, which is a retired podcast, it's with Debbie Millman, was actually one of my big design inspirations. Like, mm-hmm. when I was interviewing for my very first design job, I remember that I would have this ritual where I would listen to design podcasts every morning when I was preparing for the, the interviews, just because mm-hmm. I wanted to know, I wanted to become familiar with the words mm-hmm. that designers were using or how to talk about design. Ooh, or like, the lingo. Yeah. The like language. I just want to get in the mind, That's like key. the headspace for it. Now. Super important. Yeah. It was kind headspace, of a weird. Headspace, no pun intended. <laughs> pun intended. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I like it, that. it's interesting. And then just, you know, Planet Money is kind of cool. Do you guys listen to that one? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's on NPR. Yes. Yeah, for yes, sure. Yes, yes. I've heard that one. Yeah. Uh, finally, what books do you read and what words of advice do you have? What sentence of advice do you have <laughs> for the world and the podcast community that wants to be a designer like you? Yeah. Product designer like you? What, well, so briefly, the books that I read, I've been really into, well, one, some meditation books just because I feel like I need to do some due diligence. What are your favorite there. ones? I'm just reading the one by our founder right now. It talks about his story, which in a nutshell is he became a Buddhist monk and then he started this company. Um, and your family was Buddhist too, right? Yeah, one whole side of my family. Like two of my cousins are Buddhist monks living in monasteries, so that's wow. great. Wow. I've yet to visit them since I've started, but yeah. it's That's powerful. It's very Have you ever heard of the book Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle? Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, that was one of the books I read when I was in high school, I think. And I, I think it was almost life-changing because... Once you become aware of all the impulses you have, yeah. um, next time you catch yourself in it, it's like, all right, you become more aware of it. Exactly. I feel like that's um, a very big part of becoming self-aware is just yeah. recognizing. Start recognizing things. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But otherwise, I read a lot of sci-fi, actually. Mm-hmm. Like right now, I'm reading The Three-Body Problem. <laughs> it's kind of like that's just a super sci-fi book. Before that, what was it? I think I read Neuromancer. Just some... just very sort of pure sci-fi or getting into sci-fi fantasy. And then here and there books on like what would be considered social or cognitive science, like on habit building Mm -hmm. and on like just how to think about things. It it sort of is in line with what I studied, but it's kind of taken on a little bit of a pop, pop psychology. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So last question, I promise. So now that you've been through this journey and you've broken into tech, you've had, you've worked for a number of different companies. Is there anything that anything that you changed your mind on now that you're kind of on the other side of the table? Anything I changed my mind yeah, on? Anything you believed in or anything that you thought was going to be? Uh, mm. and then anything you changed your mind on one, now that you're on the inside? Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> before, and this is just a mindset thing, before I did all of this, I wouldn't have thought that I could do all of this. Mm-hmm. I think it's as simple as that. It's mm-hmm. the the idea that like, it sounds cheesy, but like, yes, you can do whatever you want. I mean, yeah. despite like whatever you thought. And it all kind of goes back to the mind. Like if you, mm-hmm. if you think you can do it, like there's definitely some way you can do it. And so just a little bit of like persistence, dumb luck, some combination of yeah. that, like will get you there. Yeah. And a lot of people get sometimes... Um, 
kind of feel overwhelmed when they realize how much they need to know. But in, in reality, just kind of take it one step at a time, be patient. Yeah. And in a couple of years, you'll be amazed how far yeah, you've gone. Exactly. And so that's the advice. Like it's to like, even if you're scared, just do it. Mm-hmm. Like the confidence will come later. If you aren't sure, just say yes. Like you can be picky later. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, Try to open all the doors before you shut them. Yeah. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah. Wow. You just pulled it. I just made that up <laughs> right now. That's bars. You sure you don't know how to freestyle? <laughs> That'll be the next podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Maybe next time we'll record in LA, Santa Monica, yeah, uh, with some more Headspace people. And thank you for joining us. Of yeah. course. What's Thanks the best so way for our audience to get in touch with you? Yeah, I've got a website. It's just my name, VickyTan.com. Mm-hmm. Vicky yeah. with an I. And then, you know, Twitter. It's Vicky Hart. Nice. Or Twitter.com slash Vicky Hart. Yeah, yeah. Which used to be Vicky Hart Slug. You okay. know what that is? No. Atmosphere. Okay. You know okay, that? yeah, I know about Atmosphere. Yeah. Nice, that's dope. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so she does love music. So <laughs> she was a runner. That's actually how we connected was through Twitter. So shout yeah. out to Twitter. Shout out to Twitter. I Except mean, for, you know, Trump. Some- peace everybody bye thanks thanks for checking us out we appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better if you enjoyed this let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes searching for breaking into startups subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review also if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.